We're building a league, we're building clubs. I think we need to entertain. Uh, at least that's uh, that's my way of doing it. And uh, there's different ways uh, to get games, but I think that's the one thing you'll get out of uh, a lot of times uh, Forge and Cavalry. They're entertaining from a tactical end, uh, sometimes a little bit physical, but I think there's a lot of good football uh, being played and uh, not a lot of uh, you know, teams uh, waiting for another one. Um, but uh, there's always a way to get three points and everyone does it differently. But I think for, for the supporters of the league and the growth of this game, I think we need more entertaining games. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Canadian Premier League Newsroom. Christian Jack alongside Charlie O'Connor Clark as we recap another brilliant week, week number 23 in the Canadian Premier League 2022 season so far. Oh, Charlie, do we have things to talk about this week? Man? Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, uh, a couple, I think. We should probably just get right to them. We should just get right into it. If you're watching live, again, you share your comments. We're going to get into the games. Lots to talk about, and I'm sure many things to dominate our discussion around what happened at Tim Hortons Field on Saturday. Uh, results this week, York United 3, FC Edmonton 1, Mobabuli 2, uh, Ozoze Di Rosario again, and CJ Smith for FC Edmonton. A Sam Salter penalty for the second game in a row against Valor was enough to beat them 1-0 at the Wanderers grounds. Forge 2, Cavalry Cavalry 1. Davish one year at Wuppercar Sissoko for the hosts. Ali Moussi also involved in that game with a goal. And three red cards. That's right. Not one, not two, but three. And Pacific 1, Atletico Ottawa 1. A tale of two set pieces as Oli Bassett from the spot was equalized by Amir Didic's free kick. <clears throat> We start, though, with some real poignant moments this weekend across this wonderful country as collectively the Canadian Premier League came together to honour Her Majesty Queen Elizabeth II as fans and clubs united together in moments of reflection and remembrance with the silence and the playing of God Save the Queen, the anthem. To remember the Queen herself, whose remarkable time in this life came to a close last week, passing at the age of 96, ending her reign at an astonishing 70 years and 214 days. I want to take this time to thank all the clubs, One Soccer, our broadcast partners, and those at the Canadian Premier League, whose dedication ensured we saw moments of respect at a crucial time. God save the Queen, and well done to the Canadian Premier League. To the games now, we start in the city of Hamilton, where the Queen Elizabeth II visited as part of her Golden Jubilee back in 2002. Charlie and I were both there, and what a match this was, as Forge and Cavalry delivered again. They often offer many of us different things in games like this, Charlie, but just when you think you've seen it all, uh, we see another spicy clash open the scoring in 10 minutes uh, by Davish Monier. Yeah, this was just a, another astounding game between these teams with some really, really good football. And I think that's where I want to start before we get into you know what what happened at the end Please of this do. game. Yeah, uh, but this was a very entertaining game of football. We we kind of spoke about it. Both coaches spoke about it in their press conferences after. We heard Bobby referring to this at the start of this uh, of our show here. This was a game where two teams wanted to play football and come at each other and attack. You know, there's as Bobby alluded to, there's many ways to win a football match. But the most entertaining one is when both teams are just trying to get the ball, trying to go forward, trying to score on each other. And this is what both of these teams always do, especially when they play against one another. Um, you know, Forge, very, very well organized again defensively. They get Daniel Kurtzen back, which is a huge, huge thing for them. He's arguably the best defender in the league when he's healthy. And I think a lot of us forgot about that until this game. But he comes in at center back, immediately looks like he hasn't missed a step despite not playing since the end of November 2021 when he uh, tore his ACL. He's in there. Alex Eshinio Dionson gets into midfield as that number six, which is huge for Forge, and they just control the ball so well. But Cavalry, again, have have you know those ways of running the ball that Ali Moussi kind of playing as a 10, John Anielassi getting in behind. There were lots of just interesting kind of attacking movements in this game, little triangles with these teams trying to get forward, and Forge probably deserved of the three points towards the end, but you know, both of these teams, again, showing why they're so consistently near the top of this league, I think. 
Yeah, a heavyweight clash as usual, as we would expect. And I don't mean that from a physical point of view. We will get to that. But I mean, as quality on the pitch, um, we alluded to it. That, you know, some games have been quite tight this year. Some teams have been very defensive and it's been their path to success. Uh, these two teams are not built that way and will not play that way, despite coming in not at the best of form. Forge on their worst club record run coming into the game, winless in five. Cavalry just two goal, uh, just two wins in the last five, struggling a little bit from goal uh, to getting the goal scores as well. Um, but I think that says a lot, Charlie, about where these teams are in terms of they want to just give out what the best version of themselves are. Cavalry will get to in a second. They didn't get that chance to do that. And I think that spoke yeah. about how up for the game Forge were and how well they played, certainly before the madness started about 17 minutes in. Yeah, I think that's that's probably about right. I think that maybe this game comes at a good time for both of these teams because it seems like no matter where either of them are in their season or, or their recent results, they really, really get up to play one another, having had so many good battles over the years, even though there are a lot of players you know, on this pitch in this game that weren't there in, say, 2019, don't remember right. kind of where, if we want to call this a rivalry, where this started. I know neither manager is is a huge fan of calling this a big rivalry, but I think it just objectively has been over the last four years. It's been it's produced most of the, the best games in every season, right? So these teams always kind of get up. They, they bring the best out in each other, I think right. is the best way to say it, because they're always just so intense. And it, all of these games feel like the stakes are high and these teams just want so badly to beat the other one. And I think that is what lends itself to these teams kind of finding their form, being a little bit more energetic and having more energy in that press and, and things like that. So I think it, it definitely comes at a good time for these teams with very little time left in a season. It does, and they never disappoint, right? <clears throat> Four games of this yeah. season have all been fantastic from the game that began this rivalry at the start of this season in August, in, in April with 2-2, and then obviously all the way through to September, the two games in, in Calgary, which were split and that a drama and come from behind games and late winners. Um, and also a little bit of, you know, just a little bit of tension and, and, and some confrontation, yeah. right? I mean, we have to address it. Yeah. Uh, I will start by addressing this. And for anybody who cares what I have to say, then I'll say it. But I understand if you don't. My personal opinion is I don't like the way that the game is going around the world where we have this absolute fascination on, on how games are officiated, how officials get such magnitude, how people are just lambasting VAR. And we've got former referees becoming stars on news channels everywhere, breaking down things. And I understand the need to get the experts on, but there is an unbelievable fascination in this sport that does not exist in any other sport towards the officials and a blame culture towards officials. I'll start by saying that. That happens everywhere. At the top in the UEFA Champions League, the best football to the very level, you go you watch your park, go watch a park football game on the weekend. The attitude towards officials is poor. The attitude for get on the pitch. There's this gamesmanship of trying to up one of each other and beat people that in different ways that goes over the line in sporting fairness. That no other sport does that. That has to be said that that's what happens in this. And players have to take accountability for that. Now, these players are professional players for a reason. They look at themselves in the mirror every day and they are accountable to themselves. And they make it as a professional player by making them accountable for themselves in every action that they do. So what we're going to say next is clear, Charlie, that the players yeah. are absolutely guilty as just as much as what I thought was a very disappointing officiated game. As, the, as officials, right? With everybody involved in this. We don't want to be talking about this, but we have to because it was the dominant storyline out of this. But the players, obviously, both players on both sets of sides, um, certainly some of them, didn't exactly hold themselves in high esteem after this game. Yeah, you're, you're absolutely right. I, I, I agree. I think I agree that I never want to be speaking about the officiating after a game, especially a game which, as I said, had some really, really entertaining football in it. Um but occasionally there are there are you know moments that are like this. But as at the end of the day, players need to know better in a lot of these situations, right? You can't lay blame on on officials or things like that. There are going to be calls that are bad or or that don't go a team's way. Um, and when they do, as as we're going to, we're going to talk about them because we yeah. have to in yeah. the spirit of fairness. But yeah, at the end of the day, it's disappointing to me to have this be the story. Right. No, no, I, I think that's fair. Uh, but it has to be said that, you know, as we all try to get better, the league, 
everybody, Canada soccer officials, we want, you know, we just want everyone to improve. Right. And I, and I do think that the way the referee, you know, struggled a little bit in the game. And I think that's fair. You know, the players didn't help him. It was a very difficult game to referee. Um, Let's play some of these incidents. There was three red cards in all. Um, Let's put the Becker one in first because it was a difficult one to see. Now, obviously, we have to address that. You can see there's lots of issues going around. There's there's frustration before that. Now, we're hearing that Forge have appealed this. It's a straight red card from the referee. He's not very happy with it. When you see the tackle, it's it's clear that the referee has got this right. It is a red card in my opinion. Now he's not judging intent there. You know, ultimately is he judging violent conduct? Is he judging serious foul play? If you're listening on the podcast, we're just talking about the game, the, 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 the tackle as you show it. Um, what do you think on this, Charlie? I don't think that many people would say that he has much of a case in, in arguing the red card. No, I don't think so. I think at the end of the day, this is pretty cut and dry. It's a dangerous thing to do to step on somebody's leg like that. Uh, he didn't have to do it. Uh, it's it's quite a forceful step down as well. Um, so you can argue that he's in the way of the path to the ball, but at the end of the day, that's a dangerous one. And I think that's the right call in this yeah. situation. And I, I unfortunate agree. to see the captain sent off like that. I agree. I'll say this. When you identify the difference between serious foul play and violent conduct, violent conduct is very difficult to assert blame on people away when you're yeah. away from, unless you're close, when you're close to the ball. Away from the ball, violent conduct is often given given the reason. This is probably serious foul play, the use of excessive force, dangering an opponent. It ticks all the boxes that the officials would go through. This is a different rant. Again, Manny Aparicio has been through this twice now. I'm not a big fan of costing, uh, of taking players off for three games, particularly in a 28-league game season. I know that the rules are there for a reason. That's just my own opinion. We want to see stars on the pitch. Manny Aparicio want to see him on the pitch. We want to see Cal Beckham. We want to see these players on the pitch. Um let, let, let's have a look at the next one, the DKR red card. This was um, late in the game, and the official really didn't get a lot to see of it. You can see there that linesman has kind of put the flag up, and after that, DKR has given the red, the straight red card again. This would be classed as violent conduct. It is away from the ball. It's not a lot you can see there. It doesn't. I don't know if the elbow drags there into Noah Jensen. Charlie, I don't know. Yeah, that one is also we're hearing is being appealed as well. Um, Joe DiCiara was obviously stunned. Uh, maybe you could say he, he could run around him there as he goes against the ball. So I, I don't know, but that's being appealed as well. So we'll find out the reason for that too. Yeah, I think he has probably a better case than Kyle Becker. And yeah. I'm not sure that this is given as a red if there hasn't been that curf- that scuffle and, and the red card before and kind of the, the rest of the, the match. Um, so I'm, I'm not sure necessarily. My first thought was that maybe there is an elbow in there that I can't see from this camera angle. We don't really get one from the other, the opposite side, which is maybe something there. But again, in a game of this magnitude with this kind of, you know, intensity and animosity, then you don't really get the benefit of the doubt sometimes in these situations. And a player like Joe DiChiara, who does have, you know, a little bit of a track record of being a guy who plays on the edge in some of these situations, maybe that also plays into not necessarily getting the benefit of the doubt. But but again, I think he has a much stronger case on his appeal than uh, than Becker does. Yeah, like like we said, we didn't want to talk about this too much. It was a dominant storyline. There's no question about it. It was a phenomenal game of football, a great game of football mm-hmm. from the start to the end with key players playing playing a big difference. Um, before we get our, into our next guest, let's hear from Ali Moussi after this one who played a big part in Cavalry trying to get back into this game. Yeah, I mean, it's when two good teams play, you know, there's a lot of tension and a lot of good football and that is being played. So it's just a high quality game, you know, two good teams going at it. We're just, each team's going for the win. No one's really sitting back, everyone's just going for it. So it's usually an exciting game. There's a lot in it usually. So today just showed that. We will hear as usual from both coaches. We'll get to those shortly, but we're delighted now to be joined live um, from one of the stars on the show in this game is David Schwanier joining us on a much deserved day off, I think. Uh, David, great to see you. Uh, Congratulations on the win and the opening goal on the weekend. How big of a game was this uh, for your team to bounce back after what was an uncharacteristic, difficult run? Hello, guys. Thanks for having me. Yeah, it was a big game. It was an exciting game uh, all around. I think... uh, pretty entertaining game and it was uh, really good to get back in the winning column which uh, we much needed. David you've been around this Forge team for a very long time pretty much since the very beginning. Uh, What is it about these games against Cavalry do you think that you know going back to 2019 they're always just so entertaining so intense is it just that 
you know, you guys have been two of the top teams in the league for so long that you go at each other like this? Uh, it's a good question. I don't really have a, a clear reason why it's always an intense game between the two clubs. I think uh, it's two, two good teams that want to win, two, to do cl- uh, two big clubs that want to do big stuff. Uh, I think uh, every time we play them, there's this sense of uh, we want to show them who's better, who deserves to be at, at the top of the table. And it just brings the best uh, out of the two teams. And it, it always uh, create exciting games between uh, the two teams. So it's just uh, exciting for the league too. David, you were excellent on Saturday, as was your team to start from the whistle. What was the build-up like? What was Bobby speaking about? Was there much emphasis on Cavalry or was it just expectation from you guys to go out there and show after a difficult run that that really wasn't Forge? Yeah, after going through a difficult t- uh, few games before that, it was just uh, going back to the basic, going back to enjoying the game, uh, going back to staying together. I think as a group, stay together and really do whatever we need to do to get the, the three points. That was the, the, the message from the beginning of the week. Just uh, like I said, stay together really and fight through any scenario. We, we were ready for everything. And I mean, after the four games in a row where we couldn't find the, the win, like I said, it was a much uh, needed three points, which uh, I think uh, we respond well to the to the challenge. and. I think we're ready for the last three games of the season. David, I want to ask you quickly about that goal that you scored on Saturday. And anybody who hasn't seen it, go uh, go take a look at that clip. But I think everybody in the stadium and everybody on the pitch thought you were going to play Wubens in there with mm-hmm. the pass, uh, including Wubens, I think. But, uh, you know, what what was kind of going through your head there to choose to to take on the defender yourself? Go go, cut in and, and take that shot from the angle. I recruited a turnover and then the ball just landed in my feet and I started running at the defender. And uh, once I was running at a good speed, I just decided to to go on my right foot and try to to create a shoot lane, which uh, happened. And I just took my shot. When I saw the video, I know we we talked after the game. We <laughs> we had a good uh, we had a good chat about it. We're we're good friends, so it was all good. Uh, but yeah, he said, if you score like that every time, I won't get mad anymore. <laughs> <laughs> David, you've been very consistent for this team since day one in the Canadian Premier League. But uh, I'm interested, do you think this year you've taken another step? I mean, those of us covering it think that. But do you think you've progressed to another level this year? And if so, what areas of your game do you feel like you've got better at? I think so. I think so. I, st- I, st- I, I do know that I can reach a higher standard. Uh, I'm. I, th- I think uh, I don't know. I, this year, I just uh, got go, went to the club and try to to improve every day. I try to. I don't. I don't ask myself too many questions. I go. I, I work hard. Work on what I can work. And at the end of the day, like it, it, I, I, I still think I can, I could have done. I could have done more this season. But you know, there's five games left. There's a big challenge for all of us, for the team. We we want to achieve big things as a club, and think uh, our achievement, our goals this year is uh, obviously to win, uh, to finish first and to win the championship. I think uh, it's still in our hands if we do the business, and yeah, individually, I think uh, it was a decent season, and I think we we like I said, as a club and individually, we can do more. Something we've kind of spoken about before with Forge and and this season is how different maybe the rhythm is this year for you guys not playing in CONCACAF, not having as many midweek games? I know that last year you guys played a lot of games in 2021 and they were pretty thick and fast. I think there are a lot of months where you're playing seven or eight games. This year it's a little different. Has that been a bit of an adjustment for you guys, you know, playing a little bit less often and having this more of a match week rhythm from weekend to weekend? If you compare to last year, it was a big difference because we're last year we used to play, we used to play every four, three days. It was pretty crazy. Yeah. And this year, twice we had 10 to 11 days between games and i i it's a i don't know we need to adapt to the situation it's a it's there's nothing we can control about that and i think uh, obviously the few games we 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 drop points there's no really reason there's no excuses it's it's on us and now all we can do is react to the five games that left we have and 
take care of business and try to finish stuff at the table. Our guest is David Schwanier at Forge FC after a 2-1 victory on Saturday against Cavalry. David, I was on the sidelines um, and I decided to walk behind the goal, uh, Tristan Henry's goal near the end of the game on, on Saturday. And as I'm walking down there, it came close to the end of the match. Jordan Hamilton and Taryn Campbell are both warming up right near the end of the game. And it dawned on me that you guys are going to win this big game and hardly those two are hardly going to reach the pitch. The competition for places is fierce. Um, how much do you enjoy that? And how and, and is there anything different you do when you play right wing uh, when one of those are on the pitch? Is there anything different you do more with Rubens playing as a nine or Jordan or Taryn? Is there anything you know of their strengths that you can maybe work with with us and tell us a little bit about? I think uh, every player has their own strength, has their own qualities. And uh, in training, we, we train all together. The strikers, the forwards, we're all together. We all know our strengths, our weaknesses. And obviously, uh, Campbell and Passius and Jordan and Milton, they all have different qualities. And they're all great players. And our, our, the, the forwards are, the position forwards are pretty stacked right now in our, in our, in our, in our team. And, it's a good challenge for all of us to push ourselves and whoever at the end of the day, whoever this, the, the coach puts on the field, I think we need to do the job. And it's hard to, I mean, whoever I'm playing with, I don't think there's a, there's a problem. It's uh, just adapting. And like I said, in training, we, all, we switch, we switch around position. We, we adapt to one another. So at the end, when one on the field, we adapt pretty easily to one another. What is that like, in, especially in training, of having six, seven guys that can all realistically start in a front three? Is that kind of push you guys knowing that if you have an off day, there's somebody waiting right behind you to start the next game in your place? Yeah, we all know it's the professional level. We all know if you have an off day, I mean, there's most likely next game you're going to be sitting on the bench. That's why it, it, it pushes us. It pushes us to, to be good at training every day to make sure we're sharp and when it's a chance you need to to take it because like i said if you have an off day you, you might you might see it from the bench next game so it's it's just a reality of the sport so it, it's good for everybody last one david obviously about your brother he's playing great as well and that team is uh they got a little bit of magic dust as well you guys know what it's like to win championships that's that is a fun team to watch how much is uh how much are you enjoying watching cf montreal and how's matthew doing right now it's really pretty fun this year. Uh, I used to be inside the the, tea, uh, the club, and now I'm outside and watching from outside. It's pretty it's pretty impressive what they're doing this year. It's a exciting team. I mean, the last two games they did a big comeback, and it's pretty fun to watch. And I know I get the feedback from my brother, and they're enjoying themselves right now. They're a good group of guys that like to play together. They enjoy playing together, so it, it, it it's great. It's great for him. You can you can really see it. It's great to watch as well, and we're just cheering them on ourselves. Uh, David, appreciate you spending some time for us on a day off. We really do. You're doing a great job. One of the best players in the Canadian Premier League this season. We thank you for your time, and good luck for the rest of the season. Thank you very much, guys. Thank you, David one, yeah. Um, it is a, an embarrassment of riches, Charlie, that Bobby Smaniotis yeah. has got right now. And sometimes he's got to go with the right three or the right four in, in occasion. And, and David's been, you know, in and out the team, but mainly mainly playing. And he's been outstanding. And he, and he rewarded Bobby again on Saturday with a tremendous performance. Yeah, and he often does, especially at home, it seems. He really likes playing at Tim Hortons Field and those kind of wider areas. He loves cutting in from there and... He's been probably one of the most consistent attacking players on this team this season, but we've spoken about it before, especially in the last couple of weeks. It's very difficult for Bobby to figure out who that front three needs to be, uh, but David's certainly one of the players kind of making a case that he absolutely at least needs to be penned into that that uh, playoff starting 11, if we want to call it. Yes, no doubt. I think he has to play in that. He's a big game player as well in this league. Yeah, exactly. Um, talking of big game players, the return of Daniel Crutzen uh, in the Canadian Premier League was there and evident from the start. What an amazing, major uh, acquisition. He's back in after missing almost a year, 290 days. And if you missed it, we won't have time to play this show. But my interview is on social media, on Twitter with Daniel after the game. Uh, what we will play, though, is his coach, head coach and technical director, Bobby Sminiotis, on the return of his key defender. Yeah, I think I've said from the first year, he's the best central defender this league has seen. You know, there's no question, and this is no knock to anybody else. Um, but this is a guy that can play football. This is a guy who's physical. This is a guy who wins tackles in the first half. I think he's won four or five challenges in the middle of the field. And, you know, he hasn't been on the pitch uh, playing a game since uh, 
early December, late November. Um, so it just speaks to his, his quality. Um, you know, it's always tough bringing a player back in from injury. You know, you want to say, how do I get this guy minutes? And, you know, do you throw Daniel Crutzen in in the 60th minute when everything is going on? Or is the best way to, to get him a start, get him into the game? And I thought, you know, that was uh, the right thing to do today. And we're happy with his performance. And he's obviously going to help us as we move forward. Just a tremendous return. Uh, with more, here's Daniel Crutzen from the press conference. I honestly feel great. Um, I think after the first half, I think there was uh, some conversation of how do you feel? Um, do you want to continue playing? Do you feel good? And uh, I felt physically okay. So I said, let's just push it a little bit. Um, I think for me, I'd rather push it in the games rather than in practice, just to get those game minutes under me. Um, so yeah, that, that's what we decided to do. And it was more like a you decide when you feel ready to come out, and uh, I think around the 65th minute, I think I was I was good to good to come out. So Charlie, before we bring in Mitchell Tanner, you know what else we need to bring? Uh, one of these Canadian passports for Daniel Crutzen. Yes, what do you reckon? let's get one of them. Going. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. I don't know how long you have to live in Canada to qualify. I think it's five years. So I think he's close. close. You got to be close. I I, I, kind of I think like I, super, I think definitely use it. I think they're borderline annoying by asking how the Canadian passport application is going every time. So for the first <laughs> time in a long time, I didn't bring it up post game. Uh, <laughs> I didn't think it was the right time. But uh, Crutzen for Canada, let's get it going. Let's get the hashtag. Come on, it takes Crutzen for Canada because uh, uh, yep. both you and I are very big fans of this guy and, and share. I think Bobby's analysis that he is the best defender uh, this league has seen. Yes, despite having some very yeah. good defenders as well. Uh, is yeah. Uh, Oozes class. So, uh, yeah. Uh, talking of class, let's bring in our own superstar, Mitchell Tierney. Here he is. Uh, he's been waiting patiently around. Charlie's not very happy with that, but you're always a superstar. <laughs> I don't care what Charlie says. Uh, Mitch from Hamilton, we moved west to another clash between postseason hopefuls. That's right. Athletic Ottawa made the trip to Vancouver Island in the end. It was a story, though, of two set pieces uh, and was draw a fair result in this one. I think it was, um, and you mentioned the set pieces. I think that that's one of the things Carlos Gonzalez talked after the match about. The, these are going to loom large this time of year when at this point in the year, you know, everyone's played each other, you know, two to three times at, at very least. And uh, the the stadiums, you know, are not unfamiliar either. You know, there's a proper home and away where Pacific's been here, or sorry, Ottawa's been to Pacific before. Uh, every club that's going into a stadium has probably been there before, so... Um, I think with with that in mind and with how important these games are and how few chances teams are going to want to give up from open play, set pieces are going to be big. And here was maybe the storyline set piece of the game. Um, just before halftime, um, you know, Emmer Didich there, you've got Marco Bustos standing over it. Didich waves him off and decides to take it himself. And I think this was a big surprise to, to a lot of us. But, you know, a player who... Um, James Merriman talked about it after the match, has incredible technique, has shown this in training multiple times that he can hit a ball very well and an absolute rocket. It does take a deflection off the wall to, to fool Nate Ingham, but um, a big moment for Pacific, obviously picking up one point, certainly better than zero at this point in the season. So uh, I think a fair result for both teams, though ultimately Pacific, maybe not as much of a killer instinct as they would have liked late in the match. Um, few other real chances down the stretch as they really could have used uh, three points at home in this one. Yeah, they really, really could have to get back into that top four. And, you know, it's a, a great one from Amir Didich. We kind of knew that he had a, a hell of a right boot on him. We've seen him ping diagonals across the pitch. And I think the goal he scored in the Canadian Championship was from similar distance. But, you know, Pacific from open play here, Mitchell, 10 shots, 0.42 expected goals. How concerned are you about, you know, the way that they're attacking in open play at the moment? I think quite concerned. I think, you know, without Diaz, they still have never figured out what to do quite in the center. You know, Jordan Brown um, just still hasn't quite integrated with that side, I don't think. Uh, Gennaro Daniels maybe isn't a guy to lead the line. He's looked a little bit better as a second striker playing off Diaz when he was there and him and Brown haven't quite clicked yet. Um, you know, Bustos has been good, but again, has been maybe missing that that guy in the center at times. And, you know, I, I don't think anyone's been quite consistent enough. So they get the ball into good areas and then um, just haven't quite been able to to figure it out from there. And one thing that they they did mention after the match, Emmer did it actually went out of his way to mention this is the fact that 
set pieces for them. They haven't been nearly good enough this season. I think uh, FC Edmonton are the only side who have created less set piece chances than them this year. And they have all the guys you think between Mayor Jaguar and Didich and, you know, Bustos giving those deliveries that they should be much, much better in those situations. And they had a number of corners. They had, you know, that was one of many good free kick opportunities that they had in this match as well. And, um, they're only able to capitalize on the one. So there's a, a number of things with the Pacific offense that at times this year has looked excellent um, recently has been a, a lot more concerning. Yeah, just three goals in five games since uh, Alex Diaz left uh, to go to Norway. By the way, he scored penalty on the weekend again uh, as well. So his goals continue to flow in for Diaz. Um, let's go back to Starlight Stadium and get the reflections of their head coach, James Murray. We're disappointed. Um with the point we we wanted more and i i think it was there for us um at this point in the season we know these games we know what these games mean we need to be hungrier and we we need to win this game i think it was right there we need a little bit more in the end to get us over the line and we need to understand it um so it's a little bit frustrating to to walk away um with just a point from this match we need to be hungrier uh it's not something we've it's not the first time we've heard him say that uh, this year, James Merriman, a little bit calling out of his players a little bit, Mitchell. Uh, did you watch this team thinking they're a playoff team? Or do you still think they've still got a lot to prove in these last five games where they play Forge twice, still have to go to Cavalry and away from home in Halifax? So it's not going to be an easy run for this team. I think they have more to prove. I don't think that they're nearly consistent enough. I think we've seen some major highs from this them this season. I mean, look at the CONCACAF League run. You know, that performance they put in in Costa Rica, I think, is one of the best performances a CPL side has put in in any match this season. So we know they're capable of playing at the highest level. But I don't think we've seen it nearly enough from them, especially um, the the later part of this season. We've seen it in stretches. But the the best sides and the, and the top... Uh, the top four sides right now have been able to maybe be a little more consistent than Pacific this year. So that would be my concern. And obviously, you know, we bring it up every show. Manny Aparicio missing out is is huge and he will yeah. be back uh, next week. So that is that is huge for them. But, you know, you, you can't be about one player and you can't have that big of a difference. It looks so different of a side when one player is out. And I think that's been a, a major concern for them all year. Yeah, major concern, no, no doubt. Or Young, Young was good in midfield. Dixon was back as well. Um, but yikes, uh, you got to worry a little bit. You have to worry a little bit about that team. We'll keep an eye on them. But Borge at home next, and uh, it's interesting. We'll get to the games remaining for Valor as we talk about that race. But it's starting to look like those two a little bit for that fourth spot. Uh, with more on the opposite side, here's the reflections of Atletico Ottawa boss Carlos Gonzalez after this one. Yeah, little by little, as I say, we are growing in and out outside the, the field uh, as a club, as a team. And, and this is one of the aspects that we've worked in the in the last few months uh, to be a little bit more dominant in certain moments and, and, and not only be comfortable in, in situations without the ball, also be comfortable and, and be capable to win games with, with possession and being dominant. I felt that today we did a great, great first half in which... Uh, a mistake make us uh, go with a result that maybe we didn't deserve because I think that we were uh, much better than Pacific in the first half. But you know uh, the details, and then in the in the second half, as, as you know, we we also tried to to find the ways with the ball to find the ways to 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 score the second goal. But in in certain moments we we couldn't, and of course you are playing against a great team here at home that they push you, that they have their fans. So it's normal that in the last minute you. You have to drop a little bit lower and you have to defend a little bit more. If you can't win a game when you don't play great, make sure you don't lose it. And that's certainly been the method to their madness lately. I think they've been very good about that. Three draws on the bounce, not been great, but they got a Valor next, then Cavalry, Halifax away and end with York at home. Uh, interesting that still only two losses in 11 away from home in this one. Um, before we hear from Nate Ingham, it was very, very... Um, I think very complimentary of this whole project and how much he's enjoyed it. What impressed you the most about the visitors in this one, Mitch? I think, you know, anytime we're talking about Athletic Ottawa, especially away from home, you expect them to play that low block. You expect them to stay organized. But I think in recent weeks, we've seen an evolution where they get on the ball more, they dictate, play and possession and tempo a little bit more and you know their their penalty that they got in the first half was well earned it was it came from one of those moments where they had pacific on the back foot for for multiple minutes they actually in the second half as well had many good chances i think kevin allman would want one back where Bahus plays him in nicely and he just gets his shot all wrong and 
Um, I think that that's part of their evolution. And, and for me, that really comes from having an incredibly, incredibly good back three, where in this match, they're able to move the ball very well between Camus making his first start to Espejo and, and Acosta, who is just an excellent player at moving the ball forward and progressing it up the field. I mean, Pacific put them under pressure in, in several moments. Um, and they're, they're able to just quickly rotate the ball between the three of them, find Acosta, boom, it's up the field. Like, that ability is is going to pay dividends for them in in big matches, as you know a lot of these top sides really do like to to press each other, and I think that that is something that is worth looking forward to, and a, as I said, another progression of this team. Charlie, I don't know how good your Spanish is, and we love Drew Becky, but we've got to come up with some nickname for the back three. You know, like I was thinking point. about that. Oh, were you? Yeah. Just, yeah. I was I was thinking about it because I it is just this wall of three Spanish center halves in the middle yeah. there. Right. Yeah. And it's it's, it's, it's not it's not really yeah. a Spanish armada. Like they're not really charging forward or anything. Like so it's like, no, no, that's not, kind of they're actually kind of the opposite. The of opposite that. of that. Yeah, yeah. So uh Arthur, <laughs> Arthur was, I, I was very complimentary of Espeo on the on the chat, by the way. He was class he again as, as he should be. But yeah, anybody yeah. who's far smarter than the three of us, if you want to come up with uh uh, something AGR in the chat is already putting in something down with Matador. So, uh, you know, but we've got to get three in there, you know, and it's got to be far better than like Trey Leche cake or something. That's terrible. Trey Amigos. Yeah, yeah, there you go. Whatever it takes. But yeah, I'm, I'm sure the smart Ottawa fans will have a banner up at, in the next games. Uh, Trey yeah, Matador something. or something. There you go. What's uh, massive in Spanish? Yeah. <laughs> 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 we'll check that out. But while we're checking that out in our Spanish, uh, you know, in our, in our Spanish geography classes <laughs> here, uh, let's hear from Nate Ingham, the goalkeeper on this project in Ottawa. Yeah, that Canadian experience. You bring in guys like uh, Maxime Tissot, you bring in guys like Carl Haworth, um, and you keep guys like McKendry, and you keep guys like Drew Becky, and uh, and when you get into games like this, um, we all feel pretty confident and comfortable, and and um, you know they they did a really good job bringing in the right group of players, and they did a really good job bringing in the coaching staff, and um, I think everyone, I don't I don't I don't think anyone's surprised that Atletico Ottawa is at, at the top. I think they were more surprised um, they didn't come in initially and and um, contend for a title. Uh, but that's the reality of how hard it is to come in as an expansion team and um, make it work. He had a very good game as well, by the way. Very close to getting on the team of the week this week, but narrowly missed out, but it was, was very good. Uh, Mitchell, we can't thank you enough for this, my man. Great job. Uh, as the Ottawa correspondent, we're now going to send you the nation's capital, uh, come up with some banners and some nicknames for next week, all right? <laughs> Sounds good. And just quickly on the Spanish lessons, uh, that is something actually the backline has committed to taking so that they can communicate with each other. Um, obviously, you know, Camus and Espeo and all those guys are taking the, the English lessons. Ingham and Becky and some of the others are taking Spanish. So on field, <laughs> they're able to communicate a little bit better. And uh, Ingham says he's getting there. His field Spanish is good enough, he said. So uh, field we'll Spanish. definitely watch that uh, as it goes field on. Field Spanish. Yeah, field Spanish, the, probably a lot of swears. I'm going to say a lot of expletives in there. But, you, know, <laughs> yeah. you know, we've brought you on, Mitchell, calling you a star. This is what we want. Journalistic inside information. Charlie questioned it. I think I was right. You are the no, star. No, you're right. You've proven yeah. me wrong. Yeah, see? Even Charlie's on board with Mitchell. Now we're really bringing people together. Uh, we better send you away before Charlie starts changing his mind. Thanks again mitch uh, we appreciate it as usual uh agr joins the chat from the far west to the far east as he joins us to tap to recap a tight affair here he is uh tight affair at the wanderers grounds and i remember you had this game last time a month ago when valor went to halifax on a great run after having identical wins what did they do they're on a great run had identical wins again they lost to a sam salter penalty last time and they lost to a one this time now last time they didn't play very well what about this time? Was it again the same old story with Halifax giving them what they really deserved and that was nothing for the Winnipeg team? Yeah, I felt like I was fever dreaming, like you mentioned, watching the same <laughs> game over again. But, uh, you know, maybe I, something happened when I, I got on a plane and ended up in a loophole. But for the Halifax Wanderers, they won't care. I think it was another solid home performance. It's now four games uh, at home in a row where they've not or they haven't lost at least. So that's been a good run of results for them because we mentioned early in the season a bit of a, of a you know drop off compared to past years when it comes mm -hmm. to how good they were at Wanderers Ground. And this was another example of it. I mean, they they welcomed Valor and they made sure that Valor was going to have to fight and earn everything that they were going to be given. And in this game, Valor just kind of lacked that that hunger that fire that they had in those that homestand where they've really drawn themselves into this top four and title race 
So for, for Valor, it was a night of, or an afternoon, pardon me, of frustrations as probably best exemplified by this miss there. They have chances in the box. They got chances, but they just did not look sharp enough over, over the course of the game. And meanwhile, I thought it was a very composed, professional performance from Halifax, which considering how young their lineup is, that's huge. And I think, you know, no matter what happens for them in this playoff race, they're still alive. You can never say never. It's nice to see the young guys stepping up across the board because I think that's going to give them a huge platform next year, especially, you know, seeing what happens with Joao Morelli. Will he come back? Will he come, you know, will he leave? If he comes back, I mean, they're building a great platform of young players. Yeah, Halifax were, I think, by some margin, the more entertaining team in this game, which isn't something that we've often been able to say, unfortunately, about Halifax this season. But I think, it, Alex, you mentioned it there. They're a very young team in this game at the lineup, especially at the back. You know, Kristen Campagna and Mo Omar, all of these guys. Uh, it feels like maybe at this point of the season, there's kind of more hope and positivity in, you know, being going in the right direction at the moment, isn't there? Absolutely. I mean... The average age, I think it was, it, it mapped out to 23.2 for the starters or something like that, which is absurdly young. I, I mapped out the back five plus keeper to 21.2, I think it was, which is also even more ridiculous given that, you know, theoretically the defensive positions are the ones where you need more experience. And I think if you're Stephen Hart, you have to be ecstatic with the fact that you've rolled out that same back five plus goalkeeper Two games in a row, you keep two clean sheets against two of the better offensive teams in the league. And I think that, you know, sort of foundation uh, is huge because, you know, you look at Halifax over the course of the season, it feels like they've been a team that's a bit rudderless at times, a bit without a foundation, especially when Jao Morelli went down because he was so crucial. And I think if they can keep up this sort of defensive foundation, I think it's what the Wanderers need. I mean, it was no coincidence in 2020 when they had their best season is they were such a solid defensive team. They gave away nothing at those island games and they went far because of that. And I think now that they're returning to that form, you know, you're seeing a lot of great defensive posture, the back five, how aggressive the wingbacks are. They're pushing up the field, but also they, they know when to sit back. I think that's going to be huge. So credit to some of those additions they made. I mean, obviously, Zachary Fernandez has been there all season, but I think it's great to see on the left side how, you know, Gabo Escobar stepped up. He's someone I've seen in, uh, in League One BC with TSS Rovers. He impressed me a lot there. So I think that was a shrewd signing. Did it with Christian Campagna with the Whitecaps. Those are shrewd additions to add with the likes of, you know, Jake Ruby, who Stephen Hart made sure to point out after the game that his his return has been a big a boost to his defensive, uh, you know, team's overall defensive record. Yeah, you also had a lot of praise from Mo Omar in your analysis piece as well at campiel.ca. With more and reaction from the Halifax camp, here's their skipper, Andre Rampasset. Yeah, I think uh, for the most part, uh, we had some individual errors, uh, even coming from myself in the first half. Uh, we gave the ball away too cheap, and that was causing them to get, uh, get uh, um, chances in the first half. But I think once the second half, we understood what, what the game plan was, which we, we knew what it was, but once we execute properly, I think the second half they, they 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 were left to play long balls in behind and it didn't work, and uh, that that's uh, congratulations to the lad for the lads for sticking it out. Win for them and a big key loss for Valor. Phil De Santos and Valor, the talk of the league after coming off a Manager of the Month award and a Player of the Month award for Sean Rea. Three wins in a row heading to Halifax, all the momentum getting into the playoff spot, and then that is what Phil De Santos thought after this one. Tough place to play in, you know, I have to give credit to, uh, to Halifax, the way they set up, we knew. Um, they did it on Monday as well, very hard to break down and then um, pieces that are dangerous in the counter and we knew it would be a game where we needed to be patient, uh, move the ball, not compromise when we add possession. Um, and again, it looked like a copy paste of the last game we played here. Um, that PK, and then they still had, we had half chances. I'm thinking about the Ponce one, um, where he needs to do better. I'm thinking about one in the first half, but they ended up having the best chances on transition. So credit to who deserves credit. And uh, that's what I take of it. Valor still fourth just, although Pacific have a game in hand right behind. Valor's running Otto, Atletico Otto at home, and then the end with York away, Cavalry away, Edmonton away, AGR. They haven't won away since June. It's fair to say they've got to be much better than that if they want to be in the playoff picture. 100%. I think it's going to be big for them. 
Um, it's it's surprising to to, to you know to see that because you you look at the way they play. They're so solid defensively. They're good at capitalizing on moments. You'd think they're built for the road, but for whatever reason, it hasn't clicked. And I think this game was a great example of it. Funnily enough, you look at them defensively. I thought they had a pretty good defensive game because for all the shots and chances that Halifax had, I mean. There was what 0.3 open play XG was really much the penalty was what carried the brunt of Halifax's chances. So if you're Valor and you had a quote unquote bad game and you're giving up just that, I think that's a very good defensive foundation. But certainly some concerns about how their offensive game translates on the road versus at home where they just seem to be clinical and they seem to get these timely goals, be it late on in games or, you know, at the right moment. And they just haven't been able to find those sort of moments on the road. Charlie, that big pitch seems to help them at home. No, they're almost a different team. Yeah. Big pitch, the turf pitch as well, not not the you know, maybe more uneven surface that they have on the grass in Halifax. Um, yeah, it, it is very different how they can just get play those longer balls over the top in transition at home, which they really like to do and, and kind of serves them well. On the smaller pitches, maybe not so much. And, and again, with there's less space out there, uh, Sean Ray is marked a lot more tightly. Mm. And I think that, this was a game where he kind of struggled. And it, it's mostly a credit to Halifax's defending. Christian Campania was quite tight to him in this game. But uh, yeah, when you don't, when you're not able to get Sean Ray on the ball as much as they like to, they're not going to create as much an attack. And I think that was kind of the case here, right? Pretty much. I mean, Sean Ray, Moses Dyer, those are the kinds of difference makers you see for Valor week in, week out. And in a game like this, uh, they didn't have those moments of magic. And I just think the way Valor's attacking posture was because I mentioned Halifax having few chances. Valor had even far fewer. They had maybe two or three good half chances. I think the, the way Valor was, they needed Moses Dyer or, or Sean Ray to pull a rabbit out of a hat. And the rabbit wasn't there in this game. And it, it kind of showed in how the game went. Hey, Joe, we appreciate you spending some time with us. Always a pleasure. And you continue to read his great work at One Soccer and of the course at campl.ca. I will chat with you next week, my friend. Have a great week, Alex. Appreciate it. Uh, last but not least, we end the weekend at York Lions Stadium and we bring in our own Benedict Rhodes, who was our man in this game. And you are treated to another explosive attack from York United as the Mo and Dero show continues to power York through, Benedict. Yeah, the Mo and Dero show indeed. You know, Mo Babuli, as you see on the screen, if you're watching on YouTube, he scored twice in this game. He, he's now up to four goals in five games for York United. You know, that, that signing has been... Uh, incredible and, and they have four wins in those five games since he joined the team so uh, he's made an immediate impact uh, you mentioned Osazi Di Rosario as well he he now has 12 goals on the season 11 in the CPL just two back of, of Diaz for that golden boot and and now he's York's all-time record goal scorer with his 12 all-time so those two have been have been lighting it up and, and York as a, as a whole have looked so much better these last few weeks and in this game you know it was like I said a fourth win in five games a, a pretty complete performance and, and they walk away with another three points at home yeah, I think we're at a point where I would genuinely be surprised if Asazi Di Rosario doesn't win the Golden Boot this year, you know, being two goals back and the way that York are playing at the moment. But uh, <laughs> but before we go too much into it, I want to do just a, a Mo Babuli appreciation minute. Yes, because let's do it. Ben, you, you, you kind of highlighted it in your analysis, but what is it that makes this player so good and you know so respected by other players in this league that he can come into this game or into this squad and just be immediately so impactful? Yeah, I think Mo Bully, you know, what you see is what you get sometimes. Like, you've, you've known what he's he's about for the last couple of years in the Canadian Premier League, and, and he's he's so composed. He's so good at sort of drifting in and out of spaces and, and sort of making these opportunities for himself. And and on, under Martin Nash now, he's been given kind of this, this free role, it seems, to kind of go wherever he needs to go on the pitch to get himself on the ball, to, to get the ball uh, to, to his teammates and make things happen. And that's exactly what he's been doing these five games. And, and you know, the whole team has looked more sort of linked, I guess, between the offense and defensive have sort of been brought together by having this sort of central guy who can who can kind of do it all, really. Yeah, player of the week last week, was in the team of the week last week, in the team of the week this week, and certainly a contender for player of the week this week. You know, the, the, the other thing I like about this for neutrals is when Babuli was at Forge, of course he was really good. Uh, and of course he was a big part of that. But he almost got lost in the stars, of what was going on there. Everybody else, you talk about Crutzen like we've done today. You can talk about Janssen. You can talk about Becker. You can talk about Pasillas. We've had Davish one year on. They've got Hamilton. They've got Campbell now. They've got all these other players. He's the man at York. He's the man. Yeah. 
And I and he and he's ready for that, by the way. You know, this is this is not a shrinking violet, a guy who likes to hide in the shadows, Charlie. This is a guy who plays big, wants to be big, and in a team there that needs a little bit of that offensive leader, that igniter, he's taking it on fast. And you can see it means to yeah. me he's got a contract for next year. He, you can see he's comfortable. He, this is his team now. And it's like, get on my back, I'll lead you forward. And the rest of them are shining through. And that's what I like about Babuli. Now we're seeing a different side to him that I don't think we would have seen if he'd gone back to Forge, for example, Charlie. Yeah, that's that's exactly it. And it's crazy because he's a pretty quiet guy off the pitch. But when mm-hmm. he's on the pitch, he's essentially running a show really from day one if he gets in, when he gets into the York side. Uh, the CPL, we, we're a league where we're blessed to have lots of very talented attacking players and, and good teams and teams that play good football. But something that I think is very entertaining always is superstars. And I think Mobabuli has the capacity to be a CPL superstar next season. Mm-hmm. You know, if he is the man in Martin Nash's side and he's running the show and you know, will, you know, early, very, very way too early, uh suggestion that he could he probably wants to be in the running for player of the year next year. So I, I cannot wait to see how this team kind of grows around him. And I think it's a team that's well set up to to kind of build around him. And they did they haven't really had a player like that yet. Yeah. Imagine if he'd signed a couple months earlier, he'd been the running the player of the year this year, I think. Uh, just yeah. give him a couple extra. It might be in months. the playoffs. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, if you missed the game, York were full value for the 2-0 lead. CJ Smith did come on and get that one goal uh to make it 2-1. And Martin Nash Mash actually talked about this after the game, the importance of finding another gear and making sure they got that two goal lead back. Yeah, it was good. I, I thought, uh, you know, I thought we were quite comfortable first half. Uh, had a good half. Could have, could have scored a couple. To be honest, we had a couple uh, half chances that you know you'd like to see one of them go in. Um, and then, you know, I thought we started the second half really well, got the goal, and then I thought we kind of relaxed a little bit. So that was a bit frustrating for for a little bit. They scored the goal and it kind of woke us back up. And I think again in the second half we could have scored uh, a few more. Certainly could. Uh, we'll get to their offensive ign- being ignited over the last few games in, the min- in a minute. But Mobabuli is not the only player that's starting to look comfortable who has been a mid-season acquisition. There's been many. Ronan Kratz been excellent. Uh, yeah. Taz Modakudis is another one, and we'll hear from him now after this one. I think um, coming here tonight was, was important that we got a good result at home. I think um, this season we haven't been probably at our best during the home games. In fact, we've been probably getting more wins away. Uh, so we're looking to, to change that trend tonight. Uh, we did so it was comfortable, I think, for the most part. Um, we let them back into a game, I think, with something a little bit sloppy that we need we need to work on defensively. But overall, the team's happy. But to, to answer your question, I guess there's always a belief that we just want to do the best we can every week. Um, if that leads to getting to the playoff pitcher, um, then that's even better. Um, at the end of the day, it's it's not in our hands in terms of results if the other teams pick up wins. But, but that doesn't matter. At the end of the day, you still have to beat the team in front of you. And... And tonight was was a professional performance, so I was, I was really impressed. Yeah, so were we. Let's look at York's resurgence. The last seven games, York have got 15 points from the last seven games. That leads everybody in the Canadian Premier League. Valor 13, Atletico Ottawa 12, Cavalry Pacific, Halifax 10, Forge 7, and FC Edmonton 5. They have also scored 16 goals in their last seven games. No other team has got double digits. Um, so, Benedict, when you were assigned this game, it was sixth versus eighth. But was it not a lot of it, uh, like watching like one of the stars teams right now in the Canadian Premier League? Yeah, yeah York has, has been good. They've, they've beaten some good teams recently as well. They, they've beaten Forbes. They've, they've beaten Cavalry. They've beaten been a Pacific. They've, 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 they're able to compete with the best teams. And Taz did say after the game. You know, he said they, they have the, the capability to, to be any team in this league, as most teams in this league do, or every team in this league does. And, and you know, this game – you said a six for eight, but you know Edmonton as well. They always give themselves a shot in, in these games. They're, they're not being out out outclassed, you know, incredibly every game. So, uh, you know, it's always going to be a, t- a tight game, and, and that's what we got. And, and York, you know, rose to the challenge and, and got those three goals and those three points. If you're watching live, stick around at the end of the show. We're going to end it with uh, Azaze Di Rosario's goals from the season as he becomes a club record leading goal scorer, twelve. Uh, Charlie's already put the bet on. He's going to win the golden boot, but he is suspended next week, Charlie. Yeah, uh, that's true. unfortunate. Suspended for that. So you'll have three games left. Uh, I know why Babuli kicked the penalty because they want to make sure they win the game, but I'm not going to lie. When they got that penalty, Charlie, I was kind of hoping that Azaze stepped up to, to, to put that in there. <laughs> but he's been great, no? I mean, th- we're going to see his goals at the end of the show, but this has been, Charlie, just a brilliant signing for the Canadian Premier League, let alone your United fans. 
Yeah, it's amazing. And it's it's fun that he's kind of found his, his place in the way he wants to play because he started the season very well, that goal in Edmonton, which kind of put him on the map. And then he had a bit of a rough patch after that. He, he had a bit of a dry spell for maybe a month or so. The whole team did, to be fair. Missed that but, penalty, didn't he, in Valor too? Yeah. yeah. He had a, a tough spot where I think maybe you know the, the initial... Uh, hype around him sort of trailed off a little bit and maybe maybe hurt him a bit because there were pretty high expectations. But he's found you know his consistent place in the side. He's a young player playing a lot of minutes for this team as well. It must be said, uh, and he's especially with Babuli, he's just flourished and he's had that service and you know those those that mature player who's telling him you know make these runs, I will find you, and he's finishing them very professionally. Yeah, and in a league lacking nines across the board, a lot of the time, this guy has just been a brilliant, brilliant signing for us uh, here in the league. Uh, on the other side of things, here's the views of the losing coach. Here's Alan Koch. I think just having more time with the group, players having more time with each other, um, building partnerships, building relationships. I think that's been our biggest evolution in the last few weeks. It didn't show tonight, to be quite honest. I was very disappointed with our uh the entire game to be quite frank our first 45 minutes we were not how we have been for the last few weeks um the energy was was low um and we put ourselves in a bit of a hole uh, and then the second half became a very transitional based game where we're going to go with them they're going to go to us that, that type of deal uh, and if a game becomes like that then anything can happen so yeah we've been happy with our progression um i think we're much better now than we were with the last time we were here uh but i wasn't very happy with our performance tonight Still 12 points on their last 13 games and a big game this weekend. Always a big game in the Clash of Alberta. Uh, but if FC Edmonton ever want to beat Cavalry, this might be a really good time to stick it to them. Uh, before we get to the games next week, let's take a look at the standings as we close week 23. And the boys of the capital still remain at the top on 41, but it's getting closer. And Forge are certainly back in the race to be regular season champions. Don't rule out Cavalry, who end three games at home uh, to end the season as well. Uh, but Benedict, it's looking increasingly likely it's one from Valor or Pacific, even though York still have a chance to get in there as well. Yeah, they have a chance, but it'll be an uphill battle, that's for sure, for, for York. And and I, I agree with you. I think it'll be one of Valor or Pacific. Uh, both of them have, have an interesting stretch to end the season. As you guys mentioned, you know, Pacific have maybe a, a little bit of a difficult, more difficult uh, sort of run to the close of the season. But those, those two would definitely be battling it out for uh, that one sort of coveted spot. Yeah, definitely keep an eye on that. And we'll start by looking at next week's games coming up next. A reminder, CPL Predictor brought to you by Come On, your chance to test yourselves against CPL fans to win cash and other lucrative prizes. Just predict the scores. Go to campl.ca slash predictor. Games next week, and they don't get much bigger than this. Uh, predicting York versus Halifax, I think most people will look at a home win. One team that doesn't do very well away from home and another one it was absolutely flying. Uh, no Dero, but Mo is there, and you'd expect a home win there. So pick the scores accordingly. Uh, Cavalry tend to boost a very impressive resume against FC Edmonton, never losing to them. And I think that looks like, for many people, what would be a home banker as well. FC Edmonton and Halifax can certainly try and prove us otherwise. Uh, a double header, a feast on Sunday. We have to remind you that since this has been built, we've just had a schedule change. So the Valor against Atletico Ottawa game now kicks off at 4 o'clock Eastern, uh, just an hour earlier than that that it says there. But Benedict Valor versus Atletico Ottawa, Valor's last home game of the regular season. You have to expect that Phil DeSantis' team are going to come out all guns blazing for this one. Yeah, they're going to really want these points and, and this result. But Ottawa, of course, have been very, very good on the road, probably the best road team in the CPL this season. And uh, I think I like Ottawa in this game. I'm going to take probably 2-1 to Atletico. Interesting. That might be a very big, big loss to Vallas. Uh, playoff hopes, if that's the case. Uh, interesting, though, that Charlie, that Pacific will know what Valor did before they play their next game. They already have a game in hand before they kick off yeah. against Sports Love, two games in hand. And we have to remind everybody that it was the first game of the season for the champs when they last welcomed Forge and they played brilliant, brilliantly that day, 2 1. This is diff this is a tough game to predict, but the way things are going at the moment, it's hard to see Pacific finding the form that they had at the beginning of the season to go out there and dominate Forge like they did opening day. Yeah, that last Forge Pacific game on Van Isle seems like a long time ago. The only thing I will say is that Forge are most likely going to have to do this one without Kyle Becker. 
Yeah. Which uh, which will change things. But again, Pacific will be without Amir Didich because he's suspended for accumulation as well. So I think I would fancy Forge in this game to, to maybe maybe get a 2-1 here. Yeah, join me and the other guys at One Soccer for the Come On Match of the Week. Next week, 7.30 Eastern, we'll have the action starting for that one. What a brilliant game that will be. Uh, gentlemen, thanks so much for your time. Thank you, of course, to Mitchell Tierney, AGR as well, and of course, Davish Monier for joining us. Week 23 is in the books, and we had some more record-breaking, and that was down to Azazi Di Rosario, who's now scored most goals in York United history. Sit back and enjoy. You know, I think he's got a great mentality. Uh, he, he's open to instruction. He works hard. Um, he's a great finisher. He's got all the tools to be a, a top striker, in my opinion. He's been really good all season. He's, uh, he's worked really hard for us. Di Rosario! Out of nothing for the guests! It's the first goal of the season, and it's the first goal for York United. Tirasario!